0: If you would please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. The very last book in the Bible. To the fifth chapter. Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to read at this point the first seven verses. This is... God's Word. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated, On the throne. Uh, Thus far this morning, this is the Word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the Word of our God shall endure forever. It would probably help you this morning if you would keep this passage before you because I hope to unpack it and to show you uh, what it's all about. Let's ask God for His help. Father, our own native abilities to understand Your Word are... Uh, fragile, to say the least. Unless You send Your Spirit to open our eyes, we will not understand nor appreciate all that You say to us in this passage. So come and be our teacher, O Holy Spirit, and be a blessing to Your people. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many of you in this congregation uh, know the fictitious story about the sword in the stone. You'll remember that uh, the sword was in a stone in ancient England and and they were looking for somebody in the kingdom who would be worthy to uh, pull that sword out of the stone. But nobody could do it until one day... A small boy, Wart, W A R T, came and removed the sword from the stone and would eventually become king. Well, that's fiction. It's fun, it's a great book to read to your children and grandchildren, but it's fiction. But the story that I told you and just read to you a few moments ago is real. Now, I know that this passage is highly symbolic. Of course, it is. Uh, You're looking at a vision of the throne room of God in heaven. And God is pictured as having a book on his hand. We know that God doesn't have a body, but it's, it's a vision. That John is seeing. We're going to see a lamb. And he has seven horns. And he's got seven eyes. It's symbolic, but it's real in its meaning. So, what I want to do this morning is open up this passage under five very basic statements of what you see here and try to interpret it for you. Here are the things. We're going to see a sealed book. We're going to hear a strong angel. We're also going to hear a silent answer. We're going to look at a sobbing sobbing apostle. And at the end, we're going to look at a sufficient and triumphant Savior. So in the first place, as we come to this passage, consider with me what I'm calling a sealed book. It's right there in verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Uh, uh, John sees a book, a scroll. And notice that this book is resting on the hand of the One who sits on the throne. The book's not being clutched. It's not being grabbed at. It's being offered to someone else. The person on the throne is willing to present this book to another. Note that this book is written within and on the back. That basically means that this little book is as full of writing as it can possibly be. Nothing can be added to this book. And nothing can be taken away from this book. It's full, full of writing. And also note that it's sealed with seven seals. It has seven sections. And each of those sections has a seal on it. So it has to be opened one seal at a time. Uh, Back in those days, when John was writing this, Roman wheels, testimonies. Uh, if you have any lawyers here, a will. Uh, they were sealed with seven seals. Well, what is the meaning of this? Well, let me just tell you what I believe. This is going to be the record of how God is going to deal with things from this point in He reveals Himself to the end of human history. It's those events that are going to occur until that day that Jesus Christ returns again to this planet for His people. And the rest of the book of Revelation, and we're not going to study that this morning, will chronicle those events and you'll see one seal after another sealed open as you read this book. But this book contains God's decrees for history. God's will. The plan of His inheritances. People are going to receive judgment or people are going to receive complete redemption. And this book's going to tell people about that. So that's the first point. There is a sealed book. Secondly, there is a strong angel. Look at verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Uh, This strong angel, uh, notice, notice how he's described here in our passage. We're not told his name. We're simply told that he was a strong angel and that he had a loud voice. And we're told why this angel's voice was so loud. His voice is loud because he had to deliver a message that would be heard throughout all the universe. In the third verse, we're going to see that it was heard in heaven, it was heard on earth, it was heard under the earth. This angel had volume in his speech. And we're even told what the angel's message was. He said, Who is worthy... To open the scroll and to break its seals. That's what his message was. Who is worthy to take this book, to open it, and break the seals? He's looking for somebody who's worthy. Who has the moral? Who, who has the, the, the proper ability? and the moral ability to open up this book. So we've seen a sealed book and we've seen a strong angel. Thirdly, notice that there's a silent answer. Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to look or to open the scroll or to look into it very interesting that this message was heard throughout the universe in this vision that John is seeing. It was heard in heaven. Now think about that for a minute. The sinless angels, the cherubim and the seraphim, the souls of great people who have departed and are up there in heaven at this very hour They stand in breathtaking silence at their inability to take this book and to open it up. And then we're told that the message was heard on the earth. It was heard by great thinkers, by great theologians, by great preachers, by great Christian leaders, by rulers and kings and presidents and all the inhabitants of this planet. They stand dumb and mute before this challenge. They hadn't got what it takes to open up this book. It was heard under the earth. I'm not sure I understand exactly what that means. It could mean that even Satan himself heard this challenge but I guarantee you one thing, when he heard this challenge, he got scared because he knows if this book is opened, he's going to be crushed. And he will be. Well, we have a silent answer. But next we see a sobbing Apostle, verse 4, And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Um, It's very interesting here. Uh, John starts crying, and he just can't hold back. He's he's wailing noisily. Why? Why? Well, because he's wondering whether or not all the events and the plans of God for history are going to be manifested to him, and he knew Jesus, he loved Jesus, and he was one of Jesus' apostles, and he knew what Jesus said was going to happen. But now he was—he's not questioning, I think, the gospel. He's he's not—he just—he's—he's crying because he just doesn't know what's going to happen. And he sees that there's no one that has the moral and legal right in heaven, among the beings created by God, or under the earth, or anywhere, to open up this book. But that leads us to the most important point, and my longest Because what you see next in this vision is a sufficient and triumphant Savior who can and will open up this book. Verse 5, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. Now, notice what happens here. First, John hears somebody say something about what's about to happen. He he hears an an elder, one of those beings in heaven that are mentioned back in chapter 4. We're not going into that tonight or this morning. He, He hears, and he hears two great titles about a person, he's called a lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, all of you know that the lion is the king of all beasts. It's a symbol of majesty and power. Um, But this lion is from the tribe of Judah. Now, what does that mean? Well, you'll recall that in the Old Testament days... God made a special promise to one of the tribes that Messiah, His conquering king, would come from the tribe of Judah. Here's a prophecy that was made in the Old Testament. Just listen, it's short. Judah is a lion's whelp. The scepter, the rule, shall not depart from him until Shiloh come. That's not the Civil War Shiloh, but Shiloh means... Peace, come unto him shall all the obedience of the people be. So as Israel encamped in the desert under Moses, the leading tribe of Judah were even told by the Jewish rabbis that their particular banner that they carried for their tribe was a lion. But then he hears him described another way. He's not just the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's called the root of David. One came from Judah's family who was to be the king over Israel. His name was David. David is one of the most magnificent men in all the Old Testament. Uh, David, in his loins, and from his family, And from his kingship would come a better king than David ever could be. And that's why you read in the book of Isaiah these words. Listen carefully. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And there will be no end of the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness forever. The promise of one coming from a root. Just a root. David was a failure. He wasn't a perfect man. There's going to come a tree. So that's what John hears. A lion... A king. But then he turns and he looks. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. He turns to see the lion... And he beholds a lamb. And he sees on this lamb marks as if that lamb had been sacrificed. And indeed he had been. The lamb's death marks can be seen. But he's alive. And he's standing. And He's worthy to open up that book. But this is no ordinary lamb. He has seven horns. The word seven is symbolic throughout the Bible of completeness. He has complete power. And seven eyes means He has perfect vision of all things. And he's worthy. Verse 7 And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He can take those pages, he can open that book, he can reveal his contents. Because he's won a victory. He was slaughtered, but he rose again. And he's now standing as though he had been slain. But he can walk up and take that book and he can open it up because his life and death and resurrection Have made him the only one worthy and triumphant to give you your will and your inheritance in the future. I was thinking, even as I drove up here this morning, how am I going to apply this to your lives? I think I've opened it up for you. But I don't want you to leave this sanctuary today just simply with a bunch of facts in your head. I want these principles to be in your heart and change your life. So here's what I want to say to you. You need to recapture this vision of your Savior, of a sovereign throne room in heaven where God is in control of things and in control of history. And that God does have purposes and God is going to carry out those purposes. We're in His hands, brothers and sisters. Our lives are in His hands. I was reading an article by Charles Spurgeon, a a former Baptist preacher in England, over a hundred years ago this morning, My wife, before I came up here, and Spurgeon just simply said, Dear Christian, understand that you're not going to leave this earth one second before God wants to take you. Not one second. He's in control of your life. And God is in control of history. And in the messes that we see about us in our culture and in our world, God's in control. The other thing that I want you to capture this morning before we leave here is the unworthiness of man in and of ourselves. We couldn't open that book. We, we, have, we don't have the moral right. We are sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We sin every day of our life. There's not a person in this congregation. There's not a person you've ever known. There's not a preacher you've ever heard. who's worthy to usher in the kingdom of God. And this passage causes us to say, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? But, but, but not only recapture this vision and, and not only recapture the whole picture of the unworthiness of man, but recapture the excellencies of Jesus Christ this morning. How worthy He is. That God would send His only begotten Son into this world to live for us, to die for us, to be slain for us, is the ultimate evidence of the love of God for sinners. A lion exalted, a sovereign king, the creator of the heavens and the earth with infinite glory, becoming man, bleeding and dying, to rescue the souls of men. How beautiful he is! He is God, he is man, he's a lamb slain, but a lamb risen and a lamb exalted. I want to close this morning by reading to you the rest of the chapter. I'm just going to read it and make one or two comments. Revelation 5, beginning verse 8 to the end of the chapter. I want you to see what happens when... The omnipotent, all-seeing, risen, exalted Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lion, the King of Judah, takes that book. And I want you to see that three hymns are sung back to back. Verse 8, And when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth of uh, these elders and these living creatures you know what they're singing about the fulfillment of the great commission that Jesus Christ is going to bring into His kingdom a people from every tribe and nation and kingdom that dwell upon the earth. And then verse 11, I looked and heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor. And glory and blessing. And so these angels and the elders, myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of them sing. And then verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying to him that sits upon the throne and to... The Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Every creature is going to acknowledge Him. Even those that aren't His, they're going to acknowledge His victory and His sufficiency. I have a friend who once went and visited Savannah, Georgia. And if any of you like movies, you probably have seen Forrest Gump. And my friend wanted to go to that bench in Savannah. If you know the movie, if you don't, I'll still tell you the story. He went to sit on that bench where Forrest Gump would go sit all the time and just sit there. I guess he sat there for hours. But the guy that my pastor friend sat beside was reading a book. And he just got curious and he turned to to the guy sitting by him and said, Sir, I know I don't know you, but I want to know what you're doing, what you're reading. And he said, "Uh, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And so my friend couldn't help it because Revelation is a very difficult book to interpret. It's not simple to go through this whole uh, book. It's it's quite complicated, but it's a wonderful book. And and so my friend turned to him and said, "Well, tell me what it's about." And, and the guy said, "Sir," he said, I, "I don't understand everything in this book of Revelation." He said, "But I do understand one thing." He said, "Jesus is going to win. Jesus is going to win." He has won, He is winning, and Jesus is going to win because He's worthy and He's accomplished redemption and nothing can stop His victory. Pray with me. Father, thank You for this vision from the book of Revelation. Thank You about the hope that it gives to us and the Gospel it preaches to us. And help these verses to change our lives. And I thank You that our names, if we're believers, are written in the book of life. And no man can erase our names from that book because the Lamb was slain and raised from the dead. And He's got power. So we rejoice in Your faithfulness to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.